Hello, the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ on a nice rainy Sunday afternoon. Here we are gathered together to hear the pastor speak about a medical procedure which involves cutting off of the foreskin. Why would we do that? Because it's the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. But why? Why this sign? Why something so bloody, so painful, and frankly, somewhat disgusting? Why did God choose circumcision as the sign of the covenant? Well, exactly because it is bloody and painful and disgusting. That's the whole point, or at least a major part of it. Circumcision was known in the ancient world to the peoples around Abraham, it was known by the Egyptians, although they did it differently. They didn't cut off the entire foreskin. They just sliced the top and left it on. But there was a kind of a circumcision that they practiced. Why would they do that? It was seen as a ritual which would unblock fertility. Unblock fruitfulness. So the idea of something being uncircumcised is that it's blocked and that things can't flow. If you have your Bible handy, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10. You'll see how the idea of uncircumcised is applied to the ears. Jeremiah 6, 10, where the prophet says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised. They cannot listen. There's a problem. There's a blockage there. The words just can't go in. And then if you look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 30, if you flip back to Exodus 6, verse 30, where the, Moses is speaking with the Lord, and he's coming up with all kinds of uh, reasons why it's going to be difficult to do the work he's called to do. Exodus 6, 30, Moses says to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? What he's saying is that the words don't flow, God. There are impediments here. I, I just, I just, I'm not good for this. I can't speak. There's a blockage there. And so in the ancient world, the idea of circumcision was to unblock so that there could be fruitfulness and fertility. And that's why it was often done or usually done before marriage. It was a fertility right. In fact, the ancient Semitic word used amongst the Arabs, for, for instance, for bridegroom is connected to the word for circumcised because the idea was is that when you got married, first you got circumcised so that you could have children. And the word is also connected to the word for father-in-law. And it's possible, according to some scholars, that the father-in-law would be the one to perform the ritual, which makes me glad that I'm living in the 21st century. And so around the area of Canaan where Abram was, the Egyptians, but also the other peoples, most likely practiced circumcision, maybe in a different way, but some kind of circumcision was practiced, except for the Philistines. You remember as we read through the Old Testament, the Bible over and over again says that the Philistines are uncircumcised. It's just emphasized. This is not mentioned about the other peoples, but with the, with the Philistines it's mentioned. They're uncircumcised. And 
That's because they came from over the sea. They came from another area. They weren't like the, the local peoples. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 9, if we go back to Jeremiah for a second, Jeremiah 9 this time in verse 25. If you do have your Bible handy, it's, it's helpful to see it right in the Scripture because it's easy to remember that way. Je- Jeremiah 9, 25. And here, as we, we hear the prophet speaking, we see that circumcision was most likely a practice of the surrounding nations. Jeremiah 9, 25, that's page 638. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. And so the, Greek, the Hebrew here is actually a little bit complicated. Scholars differ. But as we have it in our translation here, most likely Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and, and the other people in the area, except the Philistines, did practice the ritual of circumcision. Trouble is, they're not circumcising their hearts. It's just a physical thing that they've undergone. So that's the context. Circumcision is chosen by God as a sign of the covenant because it has to do with the promises of the covenant. You remember the promises. The promises are a people and a land, a family and a home. The promises are Adam couldn't do it. Noah couldn't do it. I will do it. I will multiply you. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And the only way to do that is through the birth of new children. The only way out of death is through the birth of new life. That's the promise. The gospel is first presented in paradise after the fall in terms of the birth of new life. God says to the woman, you will have a seed. Literally, the word is seed. We translate it in our Bibles as descendant. But the word is seed. There will be a seed born of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. That's the gospel. Our sin brought death. God will bring new life. And so for God's people in the Old Testament, every birth is seen in some sense as a new creation of man from the earth, as God forming man in the clay of the earth and and breathing life into him. And the picture of the Old Testament, the idea, the understanding of the whole process is that the seed comes from the Father, passes through the foreskin, and is planted into the earth. Go to Job chapter 10 for a moment if you can. Job 10. And verse 8 and 9, 10 and 11 of Job 10. That's on page 423. So here, Job's describing the the Old Testament understanding of of how babies are formed and how people are conceived and born. Job 10, verse 8, your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? And the parents among us will know what that refers to. You clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinew. So he's describing here the process of conception 
and growth in the womb. And he describes it as being formed like clay, like the, the first man, like Adam from the earth. Go to Job 33 if you're in Job. Just flip a few pages forward to Job 33.6. In Job 33.6, Behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. There again, Job's describing conception and birth of human beings, new human beings, as formed from clay, much like Adam was. And then we go to Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, verse 15. Psalm 139, that, that beautiful, beautiful psalm about how God knows us so intimately. And in Psalm 139, verse 15, that's page 522, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. He's talking about what? Look at verse 13. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And he is being knitted together in his mother's womb. That's, that's the intricately woven in the depth of the earth. That's kind of the picture in the Old Testament of the seed planted into the earth of the mother's womb. And then that seed growing and becoming new life. But here's the problem. The problem is that you reap what you sow. What kind of seed is being planted into the earth of the mother's womb? It is a seed which has fallen, a sinful seed. Fish give life to other fish. Dogs produce other dogs. Sinners produce other sinners. And that's why David says in Psalm 51, Behold, I was conceived in sin. And he's not saying that the sexual act between the husband and the wife is a sinful act. What he's saying is, is that from the moment that he began to exist, he is a sinner. It's not something he learned as a child. He wasn't born as a clean slate and he didn't learn sin like Pelagius would say. Since the moment he was conceived, he was a sinner because two sinners produce another sinner. And that's the problem. And so the mark of the covenant reminds us of a hard truth that the filth and the uncleanness of sin has to be cut away. That's the, that's the sign of circumcision, that it's cut away. Not like the Egyptian type of circumcision, but all the way, cut totally off. Now, there is some modern research which indicates that perhaps circumcision is more hygienic. There, is a, there are some studies which show that there is a greater incidence of cancer in women who have uncircumcised husbands. If it's not kept carefully clean, the foreskin can harbor all kinds of bacteria. And so it's a, it's a good part of the body to use as a picture of something unclean, a picture of sin which needs to be cut away, and that's why God chooses it. And then when it's cut away, it bleeds. And that reminds us of the scriptural truth that the wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's what circumcision is preaching as well. And so here we have it, the hope of the gospel 
is in the birth of new life. The hope of the gospel is in the birth of holy seed. Our problem is that our seed is by, by nature fallen and sinful and unclean. And so circumcision teaches us that in the act of reproduction, sin needs to be cut away. Blood needs to wash away the guilt of sin. That's some of the significance bound up in the sign of the covenant circumcision. Now, nowadays in the 21st century, we look back and say, well, what about the girls? Don't they count? Are they important? Do they belong to God's people? Why didn't they get a sign saying they belong to God? That's such a 21st century question. Because we're all confused in the 21st century about what life is all about. What human beings are. And we have become a very individualistic and atomistic kind of culture where the individual is the individual. And we've lost what human beings for most of human history have understood naturally. And that is that humans are not merely individuals. They live in relationship with one another, in families, in communities, in tribes. So the first answer to the question, well, what about the girls? Why don't they get the sign? Is this, that male and female belong together, like a head and a body, like a left hand and a right hand. Do you need a wedding ring on both hands? Or is the wedding ring on the one hand enough as a sign of your covenant? The other hand is just, in, just as married as the one that doesn't have the ring. So in the time in which Abraham's living, people understand that there is no such thing as an individual, all apart, all by themselves. Everyone is included. Now, for all the talk of inclusion in our day and age, they knew inclusion. People belonged to each other. They were part of the whole. And the women, when they were daughters, unmarried, they, they were just part of the family with their fathers. And when they were married, they were part of the family with their husbands. Not that they were unimportant. Not that they had no standing on their own. They simply belonged together. Just like the men were nothing without the women either. They need each other. They belong together. That's what God said even before the fall when he created man and woman. It is not good for man to be alone. He made male and female to be together. And so because of that togetherness, that inclusiveness, that's one reason, besides a very obvious one, that uh, it's simply not easy to, to have the sign of circumcision uh, put on, the, on, on females, this is one reason why it's only for the boys. But there's another one. Another thing we should take into account here. Every child, male and female, grows from seed which passes from the circumcised father into the mother. And that sin and that, that uncleanness has been cut away. That blood has washed away the girls. And so as seed, they are holy. They're not unclean. They're holy seed because they come from a circumcised father into the mother, into the womb. That applies just as much to the boys as to the girls. They all participate in the sanctification that circumcision points to. 
Now, in Israel, circumcision wasn't just uh, applied to people just before they got married. It had a far deeper significance. God took something known in the culture, made it way more significant, way deeper. Every child is born a sinner. Every child needs redemption. Every child needs their sin nature cut away. Every child needs to be sanctified by the blood of the covenant. And that's why every, every male had to be circumcised. Now in verse 14 of chapter 17 of Genesis, God makes it very clear that if, if you're uncircumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, you're going to be cut off from your people. If you, if you don't have the flesh cut off, the uncleanness of sin cut off, in sign form, then you will be cut off. You are a covenant breaker. Refusing the sign is to refuse what the sign signifies. It's saying, I want sin. I want a relationship with sin. I don't want God. I don't want a relationship with him. It's an important sign. It's an important ritual. But the blood of circumcision is only a sign. Just like the sacrifices, the blood of the sacrifice is only something which points to the real thing. In itself, it is not efficacious. It doesn't do the job. It points to the need for a definitive destruction of the power of sin and death. It points to the need for our uncleanness to be washed away with, with blood, which actually has the power to do that. Just the ritual doesn't, doesn't work. So even in the Old Testament, the sacrament is not ex opera operato. It's not just by doing it that the reality happens. The sacrament calls for faith. Remember what Paul quoted in Romans 4. We read that. He quoted from Genesis 15, verse 6. Abram believed God, and, it, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abram had faith. In chapter 15, when God covenanted with him, and then in chapter 17, he gets the sign and seal of faith. He received, says Paul, the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The Bible's very clear. The actual sign doesn't magically make you into someone without sin. The sign points to your need for Christ, and it calls you to believe. It's a sign and a seal of the covenant. And you recognize that language, sign and seal. The confessions, the Heidelberg Catechism speaks about the sacraments as signs and seals. And when the Heidelberg Catechism does that, it's not just making it up. It's getting it from the scriptures, getting it from Romans chapter four and other places. A sign and seal of the righteousness that comes through faith. And so signs and seals, sacraments call for faith. Circumcision, too, was a seal of the righteousness which comes by faith. Now think about that. Abram believed. He heard the promises of God. He said, yes, God, I believe you, even though if I look around, it doesn't seem very likely or possible. But you say it, so I believe it. So he heard God's promises. He believed God's promises. And then he got the seal of of, of, of the covenant. He got the seal of the righteousness which comes by faith. He got circumcision. And so you would expect God to say, well, that means that credo circumcision is the thing, right? You first got to believe, then you get the sign and seal because the sign is sealing righteousness which comes by faith. So we shouldn't give it to kids because kids can't hear God's promises and can't respond in faith yet. 
Well, we know what the Bible says about that. Look at Genesis chapter 17. We dealt with it this morning. God made it very clear. Children from the very earliest age participate in this. They get the sign. They get the seal. God says to them, you belong. You are part of God's people. And that's God's call, brothers and sisters. You know, God calls adults to the hearing of the word, and he calls them to faith. And God calls children by placing them in a family of believers and setting his name upon them and calling them to faith. You can't just be baptized, grow up in the church and say, well, I've got to get into heaven free card. No, God calls you to embrace the meaning of your baptism. God calls on you to believe the gospel which he preaches to you in your baptism. And so even in the Old Testament, it was not enough just to have the ritual. Even in the Old Testament, God speaks of a circumcision of the heart. He wants it not just to be an outward thing. He wants it to be in your heart. And if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10, you'll see that. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 to 16. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 16. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers, and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Now look at verse 16. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. God, you know, sometimes people say, well, in the Old Testament, circumcision just meant that you were an Israelite. Doesn't mean much else. Just an outward symbol. Anybody could be an Israelite. That was enough. That's not, that's not the way the Bible talks. The Bible specifically calls God's people to go way beyond that, to take that outward sign and to make it an inner truth in your heart. Look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. If you flip a few more pages further in the Scripture, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And here the Scripture says, And the Lord God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So that outward sign is preaching the gospel to God's people. It's saying you need sin cut out of your life. You need sin cut out of your heart. You need all those dirty and vile and abominable desires of your old nature just ripped out of your heart. And you need your heart cleansed by the blood of the coming Messiah. And you need to be totally sanctified and set apart in your body and in your heart and your soul to serve God. And Paul makes that very clear in Romans chapter 2. You know, people often use that as a, a reason for making a big difference between circumcision and baptism. They say, well, circumcision, that was just an outward thing. But baptism has to do with really having a relationship with Jesus. That's a lie. Simply a lie. It's not what the Bible says. Romans 2 verse 28 and 29. Here's Paul. He knew the law. He was well educated in the law. This is what he says. Romans 2 28. For no one is a Jew 
who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. There it is in black and white. Circumcision is not merely outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. So God gives a sign to his people. It's a sign which says, you belong to me. It's a sign which says, you need your sin cut out of your life. You need the uncleanness of sin cut out of your life. You need to be washed in the blood of the covenant. You need to be forgiven. And you need to believe the gospel. Because the righteousness comes by faith, not by just doing some rituals. It comes by faith in who? The one who is promised in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pull through all the Old Testament right to the conception, the holy conception of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was conceived with no human father. Holy seed was planted in Mary in the earth of her womb, created ex nihilo by God. And like Adam, Christ is formed from the clay, clay of his mother's womb, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, formed deep in the earth of his mother's womb. I'm using Old Testament language here. And he was not conceived in iniquity. He was conceived in holiness. And he was born. And on the eighth day, he was circumcised. Why the eighth day? Well, the eighth day in Hebrew is the seventh day in English because they count inclusively as they do in, in Brazil as well. In Brazil, if, they, if somebody's going to meet you next, next week Sunday, they'll say, I'll, I'll see you in eight days' time. Be careful. Don't show up on Monday. They mean Sunday because they count today as day one. That's what the Hebrews did as well. So the eighth day is, is actually for us the seventh day. It's a week later. And so on day seven, the coagulating factors in the little infant reach basically the adult reference range. Now, I kind of had trouble with this because vitamin K, for those who know a little bit about coagulation in babies and newborns, uh, little babies get vitamin K shots because in the first days of their life, they don't do a good job of coagulating their blood, so they can hemorrhage easily in, in rare cases. But the thing is, is, the vitamin K levels take about six months to come up to the levels that the doctors are happy with. So it's not just vitamin K, but there's a whole bunch of different systems that work here. Fact is this, by day seven, the ability of the little baby to coagulate their blood is more or less in the range of an adult human being, despite whatever the vitamin K levels are. So that's why God chooses the eighth day, obviously. And so there we see the little baby Jesus. He's brought to the temple. He is circumcised. He, he, something is cut off from his body. He is bleeding at eight days old. Or at a week old, he's bleeding. Little baby Jesus begins his life bleeding for you. And that's just the beginning. Because then his whole life he suffers. And then at the end of his life, he is treated as vile and disgusting and unclean, and he is cut off. 
He is cut off from the land of the living. He is cut off from the human race as the incarnation of all that is disgusting and vile and unclean about our sinfulness. And in his being cut off, we are received. And as he bleeds, he washes away our guilt and our sin. It's done. It's gone. And that's why we don't circumcise little babies as a church, as a religious sacrament today. The sacrament of belonging is no longer circumcision because it has happened. The unclean flesh, the body of death has been cut away. Every circumcision was saying Christ needs to come. The Messiah has to bleed. He has to be cut off from God's people to save sinners, and now it has happened. So it's a little bit absurd to keep asking for it to happen in the sign of circumcision when it's happened already. And so the sign of belonging cannot be bloody anymore. The sign of belonging no longer looks forward. The sign of belonging looks back at what has happened. The sign of belonging is water, water which washes us clean. We are washed. We are a washed congregation. It's not the water, it's not the baptism, it's not the ritual that make us clean, but they point to the deeper significance. We are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now, circumcision was not a profession of faith. Couldn't be. Little babies a week old can't profess their faith. Circumcision was a declaration of God to believers and their children. He was saying, I am your God. You are my people. And he called them to live in the obedience of faith. And he promised them the washing away of their sins, adoption into his family, a land and a people, a home and a family. Circumcision was a sovereign declaration of God to unworthy sinners. Before they could even think about choosing him, God had chosen them. That hasn't changed, brothers and sisters. The sovereign electing love of God hasn't changed from Old Testament and New Testament. And so baptism, too, is not in the first place a profession of faith. It's important. A lot of our Baptist brothers and sisters, they understand baptism to be a profession of faith. And if it is, obviously, babies should not be baptized. They can't profess their faith. The problem with our Baptist brothers and sisters is not that they misunderstand who should be baptized. They misunderstand what baptism is. They think it's a profession of faith. That's where all the problem is. But baptism, like circumcision, is a declaration of God. To believers and their children, he says, I am your God, you are my people, and he calls us to live in the obedience of faith, and he promises us the washing away of our sins and a glorious inheritance with God's people. And that's our only comfort, isn't it? That we belong, that we belong to him. Why? Not because we chose him, because he chose us. And we live and die in the joy of that comfort. God calls us to the obedience of faith. That means we do what God calls us to do. What did Abraham have to do? Abraham had to go and, and put the covenant sign on his children and on his household. What does God want us to do? What does faithful obedience and a, a response of faith to the gospel look like 
for us as God's church in the New Testament? Well, look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. That's on page 835. Jesus came to the apostles after his resurrection. He said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth is being given to me. Now listen, church, this is for you. This is Jesus' command to the church of God until he comes again. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God does not give us the sign of the covenant only as a dear, beautiful covenant treasure for us and our kids and our grandkids. It is that, but it ought not to be only that. What does the scripture say? Many will come from east and from west and sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Go and make disciples of all the nations. What does the scripture say? Of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. The Lord will enroll the nations as covenant-born people. Brothers and sisters, we have a job to do. We need to praise him for the gospel of circumcision. We need to delight in the comfort of the sign of the covenant that we belong to God and he belongs to us in a relationship of eternal love where we're safe forever. We need to delight in that. And then we need to get busy because we have good news to share. So let's get going. Amen. Amen.